You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Open it to the third chapter of the book of Proverbs. Proverb 3. Just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to read two verses, verses 5 and 6, which I'm sure many of you probably could quote this evening. You've uh, grown up hearing it, if you've grown up around the Lord's work at all. I do want to thank you for being here this evening, and I believe that God has some wonderful things in store for us, even yet, in this worship service. Now, this morning in our service, I mentioned to you that there are two things that stand out in my mind that go together in terms of commitments that you and I ought to make. We're thinking together about commitments we ought to make for the rest of our lives. And of course, in our previous service, we looked at the issue of being devoted for the rest of your life. You ought to be a person who is devoted, devoted to the Father and all that that entails, devoted to your family and all that that means, devoted to the welfare of other people, and then devoted to the finish. And now today, we're looking at two additional qualifications, or qualities, I should say, characteristics, that ought to typify your life through its entirety. One is direction. You should be a person who has a sense of direction, knowing where you're going. And the other, decisiveness or decision. You ought to be an individual who knows how to make a decision and to live by the decision which you have made. I meet many people who who drag decisions around behind them like uh, the car of the married couple dragging cans. And, you know, they just periodically one of them will fall off and they lose the opportunity to make the decision, but they wake up every morning and they're all those decisions and they ultimately lose their ability to decide. The time comes and goes and other people make the decisions for them. I believe the world has tremendous admiration for men who live with a sense of direction, with a sense of purpose. You know, it used to be that when you would go to a, a corporation, for instance, and seek employment, they would just tell you, well, here's what your job entails. And they would put you out someplace on the line or upstairs someplace in an office, and you would come and do the work. You might not have a real sense of what this corporation did overall. You might understand your piece of the pie, but the rest of it you might be confused about. In recent years, any wise corporation has discovered that every employee in that organization needs to have an understanding of that organization's mission. Here is our purpose. Here's why we exist. It's more than just making money. Yes, we are a profit-making organization, but here is our mission or the purpose of this corporation. We are serving people in this fashion. Now, your part of it has to do with the following. There's something about a person having a sense of direction. Someone said that one time a man stopped beside uh, two workmen who were laying stone in a building. And he asked them what they were doing. And one man said, well, I'm laying stone, silly. Can't you see? I'm just laying this stone here. And he turned to the other man and he said, well, what are you doing? He said, I am building a cathedral. He had a sense of the overall purpose, the mission, where all of this was going. A person of direction 
a person of decision. And so with your Bible open to Proverbs chapter 3, will you stand with me and let's look at the Word of God. Now, I have to make a confession to you. This morning, you all did not turn up your listening devices to the proper speed. And so I really only got to say about half of what I feel the Lord has led me to say this morning. Don't worry. I'm not going to say it now tonight until midnight, but um, uh, we've got an awful lot of territory to cover in order to deal with the issue of being a directed person and a decisive person. And so get yourself cranked up, and when you sit down, buckle your seatbelt, because we're going to tear off and hopefully not leave anyone behind as we think together about how to get direction from God and then how to make a decision about what's right for you, about the will of God. Now, here are these verses, which you know many of you and know well. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. Don't even have the inclination to believe that the right answer is going to be just from within you. It always is with God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And as I mentioned this morning... Uh, That doesn't have so much to do with making Christ known, although that is a a central part of the root of this word. It's not when it is used in the tense that is used here. It really means in all of your ways, know Christ. In every endeavor of life, know the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ for you. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Father... We are trusting that you will open to us your wonderful word tonight. We believe that in it there is the answer for all of life. For it is in your word we have discovered Jesus. And through the work of your Holy Spirit, we are drawn to you. And now, Heavenly Father, I pray that any person here who does not know you will develop, even in this service, a deep hunger and thirst, Lord, for you, for eternal life, for forgiveness of sin cleansing for peace and purpose in life and for the privilege of spending forever in heaven with you. And then, Lord, for each person who is here who knows you as Savior, who knows that sins have been forgiven, that individual has eternal life, knows they ought to live with a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of decisiveness and direction. I pray, Father, that what is said this evening will be so hot from your heart that it would bring joy to our hearts and that you would create within us, Heavenly Father, a deep desire to walk the path that you have set out for us. And Lord, I pray tonight we would be people of decision. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. In our first service, I mentioned to you that when you come to know Christ as your Savior... The Lord God bestows upon you, gives you a capacity to appreciate and use two crucial elements. The first of these is truth. It is only the believer in Christ who can really grasp the truths of God. And truth, of course, is the very nature of the Scripture. And truth is what God's Word says regardless of what the world says. So there is truth. The other element is trust. And as a matter of fact, if you have no body of truth, you will never have any trust. You cannot believe something 
you do not know. And so when you come through the truths of God to know the heart of God, that his love for you and his purpose for you and that he is always right. And when you come to realize that the word of God is just that, is really the word of God. Every word in this Bible is inspired of God. There's not just inspired in different places. It's not just the thoughts that are inspired. The very words of the Scripture are inspired. That's why it's so accurate to have a reliable translation of Scripture in your hand. That's why I preach out of this Bible because I believe personally, for me, it is the most reliable translation of the Scripture. I realize that some people say, well, what about the old English that's there? Well, the truth of the matter is it's not the old English, although I love that. It's not the old English that attracts me to the King James. It is the very text from which this, as opposed to some other translations, have been translated. And so this is the inerrant, the infallible, the inspired Word of God. As I said, verbally, every word, plenarily, the entire body of it, it is inspired. It is God-breathed. By the way, someone asked, Brother Tom, there are so many authors. No, there's one author, God. But there are so many people who were used. Yes, you see here's Peter, here's Paul. You see back in the Old Testament, why, here is Moses, and here are the prophets, and here's King David, and, and my. There's so many different individuals. Well, how could it all be the Word of God? Well, if you were to walk around the top of our balcony and see those beautiful windows up there, those stained glass windows, you would stand there and even now light flows through those windows. I can see some of them now. And some of the light that's coming through is blue and some red and some white and some orange, but it is all light. Now, as it passes through, it picks up the personality of uh, the glass. And as the Word of God passed upon these men and through these men, yes, you see the nuances of their personality, but the words are the words God gave them to write. This is the Word of God. And so we have truth, and out of that comes trust. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word, God speaks to us. Hearing by the Word of God. And so we have these ingredients, these two crucial elements, truth and trust. We discovered that trust or faith is having the assurance that the thing you desire is a reality. Faith is being convicted that something is real even though you can't perceive it with your physical senses because God said it's real. And faith also is not something you think or feel. Faith is acting upon the revealed will of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of, not, of things not seen, and it is by it that the elders, the people of the Old Testament, became famous, received a good report because of what they did on the basis of what God said. Now, let's look at two more things. I would like for you to look at two critical exercises. Two critical exercises. When God desires to grow you up as a believer in Christ, he brings you through two critical exercises. The first of these I want to call a dilemma. He brings you to a situation. I mean, isn't it true that virtually everything that you have learned that's worth sharing with anyone is something you have learned as you are working through a situation? And so he brings you to a situation. What happens is a God-acknowledged difficulty or situation enters into your life. Now, someone may say, but Brother Tom, what about the problems that the devil causes? Now, listen, friends, you need to understand 
God is sovereign. He is also God of the devil. There is even a sense in which the devil is God's messenger boy. There's not anything, if you believe in a sovereign God, there is not anything that happens in your life that takes God by surprise. I promise you, God knows all the words in the world, but God has never used the word, oops. There is nothing that has caught God off guard. Nothing ever suddenly occurred to God. God is all wisdom. And so everything that has happened to you, I know a lot of people think, well, you know, the devil sneaked one over. God must have blinked. He must have turned his back on me because look what's happening to my physical body. Look what's happening to my marriage or my business or my school. Look, look, I know that that's not good. It's a terrible thing. Let me tell you this. God saw it before it ever got to you. And somehow God in his sovereignty and in his love for you said, let her rip. Now, he probably didn't use those words. But he knows that everything that comes into your life is seen by him first. And that's why you take great comfort in the truth of Romans 8, 28. For we know that all things are worked together for good. Actually, it really reads, God is working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose. You see, our problem when we have a problem is that we misinterpret what it is. The problem comes knocking on our door. We open the door. There it stands towering and grisly and growling. And our first response is wrong. The first thing we say is, I knew that was going to happen. Now, why is that wrong? Let me tell you, when you walk around expressing your fears, you are simply telling the devil how to get to you. Now, Job is a good illustration of this, I believe. Job used to walk through the streets of his town. He'd say things like this. I love my friends. If I ever lost my friends, I don't know what I'd do. Sometimes he would say as he sat and visited with folks, I tell you, I'm so proud of my family. If I lost my family, it would crush me. I don't know what I would do. He'd see his doctor walking down the street, and he'd say, boy, I appreciate that man. He gave me that ointment for those boils. I hate boils. If I ever get boils, it'll drive me crazy. He would see his banker and say, I just thank God for all the wealth he has bestowed upon me. I don't know what I'd do if I'd lose all my money. You say, Brother Tom, where in the Bible does it say that Job said those things? Well, it doesn't say that he said them, but it does say this. It says that when Job lost his health and his wealth and his family and his friends and his good name, the first statement out of his mouth was this, the things I have feared have come upon me. I was afraid that was going to happen. Now, what you need to do is to see that problem through God's eyes. Now, I, let me just rattle off some definitions of a problem. Now, remember, God saw it before it got to you. And God's not going to let anything come into your life that is not ultimately good for you. Nothing sneaks up on him. And so that situation, that problem is, first of all, the platform of, on which God can show you how powerfully he provides for his children. Secondly, it is a message from God saying that he has an answer. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody here ever had a difficulty that stumped God? Let me tell you this. God has the... You have a need. You say, Brother Tom, you don't know about my family need or my 
health need or any need that I have, financial need, whatever. Let me tell you something. The resource to meet that need is already set aside. You say, now, wait a minute, Brother Tom. How? Yes, that's right. Let me ask you a question. What comes first the an- with God? The answer or the need? The answer is always in place before the need comes. Which came first, air or lungs that needed air to breathe? Air. Which came first, Jesus, the Savior of sinners or sinners? Jesus was there before. He was before the foundation of the world. He was there in the wings waiting for the sinners to come along. The need is always there. The supply is always there before the need arrives. And so that, that message, that problem is a message from God saying, I've got an answer for you. As a matter of fact, you might want to refine a little further. It's a message from God saying, I've got a blessing for you and you've been too immature to ask for it, and so I'm going to get you in a situation where you will finally ask for what I've got for you. That problem, you you ought to be glad you have problems. You say, Brother Tom, this is really screwy thinking. I don't know what you mean by that. I'm not glad I've got problems. Well, now you need to wake up to this fact. That problem, that situation in your life is an indication that God hasn't given up on you. He is still in the process of growing you because, you see, all that that which comes to you is helping you to grow. And as Brother Manley Beasley used to say from this very platform, that problem is a call to worship. We think a call to worship is when the choir sings, the Lord is in his holy temple. But every problem you have is God calling you to worship him. The Bible says that when you have a problem, you should go before God and worship. In fact, I can show you places where it says, and David worshiped before God. David comforted himself in the Lord. And so here is this huge problem. Well, the reality is that problem is going to be the thing that springs you into spiritual maturity. You're going to begin growing. And so you have this dilemma. Has it caught God by surprise? No. It's probably caught you by surprise. Maybe, maybe not. And you're all the time worrying about the problem and ignoring what the Bible says when the Apostle Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There's a warfare going on out here. Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in the atmosphere, and you have every weapon, every piece of armor necessary to gain the battle. God wants you to exercise so you can begin growing up. So there is that. It's a very critical exercise. The problem comes into your life. You're going to have problems. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. The Apostle Paul says he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. Now, you've got to understand, there's no place in the Bible that says if you trust Jesus, life is going to be all honey and no bees. You will have tribulation. Why? Tribulation is going to help you to grow. And the second exercise is on your part, And that is that you have to make an important decision. What is the decision? All right, when you have a situation, you must decide to turn to God for the answer. Now listen carefully. The experience of Israel teaches us this, if anything else, that as long as we continue to turn to the world for its answers, we're going to continue in the wilderness. As a matter of fact, do you realize that one time in the life of Moses, 
Moses just quickly whirled around, and even in anger, he decided what he was going to do, and he struck the rock a second time, the rock being symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that event cost him his entry into Canaan. That was the moment he turned to the world. As long as you turn to the world, well, what does the world think? What do my friends think? Now, there is, there is wisdom in counsel. We're going to see that in just a little bit. But you should not even look for counsel until you have made the deliberate decision about your problem, finances, family, whatever it is. I will turn to God for the answer. You say, oh, I always do that. Let's add this word, first. You see, for most of us here tonight, God is the God of last resort. Oh, is it down to that? We're going to pray, at it. pray about it. Is it that bad? You have to pray about it. We call up our friends. You won't believe what happened to me. Hey, I need to eat lunch with you. You can't believe what they said to me. You can't believe what I've heard. You can't believe the diagnosis. You can't believe what happened. Where You can't believe they're laying me off. I can't believe this. We start talking to people. And people start talking to us. And we get our head filled with everything about everything and nothing from God. And so here are two critical exercises. Now, you can do this because you have the two crucial elements, truth and trust. And so out of that, when you come to a problem, your dilemma, then you can make a decision. Well, I know where the answer for this is. It is with God. Now, God may send you to counselors. He may not. He may send you to other Christians. He may send you to church. He may not. But the point is, you've got to make the decision to turn to God. And one big moment, one big step, one big experience of growth in your life will occur when you realize that help is with the Lord, that help is with the Lord, and you start turning to him more readily than you would ever turn to any other source. Help is with the Lord. Can you imagine how it would transfer this nation? You see, uh, transform this nation. You see, you have these programs, don't you? Psychics, call in on psychic hotline. Don't you dare do that. The stupidest, demonic thing you could ever do. I noticed that they, they have problems now with children dialing these 900 numbers, psychics, and sex. You know, somebody says, oh, I need sex. Oh, come on. Let's be realistic. Is there anything that you need that God cannot supply? Do you want the supply from some other source than God? Then the only other source is worldly, fleshly, demonic, that's the only other search. You either get it from God or you get it from the world and the flesh and the devil. And so you have grown, you have matured when you decide to turn to God for the answer. All right? Now, those are the two critical exercises, two crucial elements, two critical exercises. Now, when you decide to turn to God for the answer, God will give you, now listen to this, two confirming expressions. That's the third thing. He will give you two confirming expressions. There are two entities. Uh, one, a person. The other, something that you hold in your hand. God will use, and he will use them simultaneously. Now listen to this. He will never use them apart from each other. No. If you say, well, this... I learned this in the Bible, therefore I'm going to do it. But God's spirit, no, no. There are two things that you need to know in order to know the direction God has for you. What are those? All right, first of all, 
It is the Spirit of God. I see the reason that a non-Christian cannot understand the Scripture fully is because the Holy Spirit does not live in him. The Bible says no man calls Jesus Lord except the Spirit give him utterance. Water baptism is a picture of the fact that we have been baptized in the Spirit. You don't get spiritual baptism after you're saved. You can't be saved without having the Holy Spirit live within you. As a matter of fact, when Peter went down to the house of Cornelius and God began to move there as he did on the day of Pentecost and later up in Samaria, and here he was at the Gentiles, he said, why should these not be baptized, which is an illustration of their faith, seeing they have received, past tense, the Spirit, as did we. And so when did they have the Holy Spirit? Before their baptism. That did not confirm or confer any salvation on them. And so when you receive Christ, how do you do that? The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And so God speaks, first of all, by his Spirit. Let me give you a scripture to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard. In other words, there's nothing about me physically that's going to determine what God's will is. Here's the rest of the verse. Neither has it entered the heart of man. I can't intellectually or emotionally know what God has for me. The things that God has for those who love him. You say, well, then how do I know? If I have not seen, ear heard, it has entered my heart, I haven't thought it up. How do I know what God has? I love God, I want to do his will. But, it goes on to say, God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. And so God speaks to us. He expresses himself by his Holy Spirit. Now, be careful here, because I'm about to just blow the foundation out from underneath a whole lot of people who run around to their friends and say, you know, God gave me a word for you. Well, that's one thing to say as I was reading the Bible today, there's a wonderful scripture that I think will encourage you. But when you go to somebody and say, you know, today I was washing my dishes and God just gave me a word for you. Here's what you ought to do. Now, this is going to blow the foundation. This is going to blow that away. And there's a lot of that going on in the world. Listen, if God gives you something independent of the scriptures and it is from God, what you ought to do is write it down print it in your Bible and tell everybody this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. So, well, I'm not prepared to do that. Of course not. Of course not. Because God's Spirit has a way of speaking. Now, he can, God can speak any way He wants to speak. But God will never say anything to you that is contradictory to the Scripture. And so God speaks to you by His Spirit what does the Holy Spirit use to speak to you? The Scripture. That's why it's so important that we know this Word of God is inspired. You see, this we're building on these, these issues. Truth, trust, problem, decision. God gives me answers. By His Spirit, how? Through the Word. Spirit, Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is given how? By inspiration of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction to righteousness. That means how to set things right. That the man of God, you, me, believers in Christ, might be perfect. There the word means adequate. In other words, sufficient. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Like I said in the previous service, all the Bible has in it, all any of us need to know to do all things right. Every once in a while, somebody says, well, I know the Bible says, but you know God has impressed... No, 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 no. God will never, ever, ever contradict himself. 
People come in there and they say, you know, God has led me to leave my mate. No. Now listen, friend, there are a lot of things that you can say. Now, you, now if you're going through tragic things like this, God will bring you enlightenment. He will bring you comfort. But where will you ever find a place where God will tell you to do something that he says in the Bible he doesn't want anybody to do? You see, what I'm saying is that everything that you sense is from God needs to be tested by the Scripture. And if you come along and come up with some wild hair idea and you can say, well, man, this is from God, go to the Scripture. What does God say about that? God speaks by his Spirit through the Word. All right? So we have two crucial elements, truth and trust. Those are gifts to us from God. We have two critical exercises, a problem and our decision to find God's answer. God uses two confirming expressions. They work together, all Scripture by inspiration. All right, they work together. What is that? That's the Spirit of God and the Scripture are the Word of God. Now, what needs to take place on your part then is what I want to call two conforming exchanges. Two conforming exchanges. In other words, if God's speaking by His Spirit and through His Word, there are two things that I need to do in response to that. What are those two things, all right? First is this. Well, let me give you a verse of Scripture first. John 15, verse 5. And here's what the Scripture says, excuse me, but in 15, 7. Here's what the Scripture says in John 15, 7. That whole John 15 is a favorite passage of mine. But John 15, 7 says this. Words of Jesus. If you abide in me, and my words, plural, abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Wait a minute now. God's just throw, saying, ask what you will, and it'll be done to you? No, he has this criteria. If you abide in him, and his words abide in you. So what's the first thing that needs to happen? You need to bring a spirit-filled life into a consistent study of the Scripture. Look at the criteria. You abide in me. That is, you make your home. You rest. Jesus is Lord of your life. In your, sin, in your life, no unconfessed sin. In your life, no area where you're saying no to God. See, the, you know what disturbs me? Somebody might say, well, Brother Tom, you've used the tithe as an answer because I believe the pocketbook is the last thing people want to give up. Let me give you an example. Here's a person who says, I need direction from God. But he puts his foot down and says, there's some, one place I draw the line. I draw the line at tithing. Too bad. You can't be filled with the Spirit of God. If you know that's what God wants and you deliberately say, I will not do it, you cannot be filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God may live within you. He is resident within you, but he is not president. He is not reigning in you. See, uh, let me explain this. I could cut out a sponge the size of my body. Weird looking, huh? Roll that thing up into a ball. Swallow that thing. Makes you want to gag, doesn't it? As, is all of the sponge in me? Yes, all of the sponge is in me. Is the sponge in all of me? No, it's in my stomach. But let's say that the hindrances, the barriers, begin to dissolve and break down. This is serious business. Pretty soon that sponge pops into this arm, this arm, my head, my torso, my my uh, legs and feet. Now, not only is all the sponge in me, but because I have no restrictions, the sponge is in all of me. 
When does the Holy Spirit come to live within a Christian? At the moment of conversion. You receive the Spirit of God. No man calls Jesus Lord except the Spirit give him utterance. Can't happen. This is the way we know we're in him and he in us, John uh, 4, 13. This is the way we know he is in us and we are in him in that he has given us of his Spirit. Romans 8, 16. For the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. But what happens in many people's lives as they grow older, they begin to put restrictions. They begin to say, well, Lord, I'll, I'll do this, but I won't do this. Lord, I'll agree with this part of the Scripture, but I won't agree with that part of the Scripture. And so you must come to a point where you say, Lord, it is you. Totally, 100%, I surrender to you and to your Lordship what you say I will do because you have said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say unto you? And so, Lord, I surrender. I may not understand everything, and I'll look for explanations, but I surrender to you. What you say, I will do. Now, that is a spirit-filled life. You take that into a consistent study of the Scripture. What use does it do to make up your mind in advance that if God speaks about certain issues like money or sex or marriage or whatever, that you've already made up your mind what you're going to do, and it doesn't make a lick of, sin, lick of difference whether God says anything or not. There's no sense you reading the Bible. It's not going to enlighten you. God's not obligated to lead you. And so you bring a spirit to life. Lord, I surrender to you to a consistent study of the Scripture. That eliminates this throwing. I know all of us know somebody who threw the Bible open, pointed their finger in it, and came up with the answer. It's like a guy that had financial problems, and he opened the Bible and drew his, put his finger down there and it said, Chapter 7. So he went out and filed Chapter 7 bankruptcy, and he thought that was what God wanted to do, you know, the big solution. No, not it. Not the way. If you abide in me and my words abide, make their home in you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Thy word is a what? Light unto my path. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Get in the scripture. Lean not unto your own understanding. It's God who sees the big picture, not you. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will direct your path. So there are these two conforming exchanges. First, I bring a spirit-filled life into a consistent study of the word. Second, when God, through his word, shows me how to behave, I will obey. When God shows me how to behave, I will obey. I'll make a faith request. God, this is what you said you want, therefore, I will ask for that. And you say, what are you talking about, Tom? Well, remember the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you're saying is, look, I'm going to go to the Word of God, taking a life that's surrendered to the will of God, and we'll say, Lord, show me your way. When I see clearly what your pattern is, what your way is for this issue, I will pray accordingly i will make a faith request you say how can i believe that what i'm asking for is what god wants because you have said until you've seen what god said you said lord show me light then when god reveals light to you he says this is what i want you to do this is how i want you to behave this is how i'm going to how it's going to turn out then you simply agree with him that word for agree means there to, to symphonize with him it says they were all in one accord. They were symphonizing. If two are gathered together, that word is symphonized. If two are gathered together in prayer, 
There am I in the midst of them. And so it is I am agreeing with the Lord. What he said is what I want. Listen, if you get to the place where all you want is all God wants all your life, you'll have all you want. And he'll have all of you he wants. The key is getting to the point where all you want is all he wants for you. A hard truth. You know, parents have the remarkable responsibility of, of every year at Christmas time trying to get their kids to ask them for Christmas for what the parents have already gotten. That's tough. I remember asking our oldest daughter, Beth, sitting back here. So what do you want for Christmas? She said, um, uh, some kind of doll that you've got to raise up, send to college and all that stuff. You know, it's got every kind of anything. And uh, that was bad because in the, in the attic we had a bicycle. I put together, it was an attic, it was a bicycle. And I'd ask her, you know, what about this? Oh, no, I want this kind of doll, you know. Well, look at old Paige Johnson next door. She's got a bike. Yes, yeah, she fell down on that thing too and hurt herself real bad. Wouldn't you like a bike riding down the street? I mean, you know, you're just having a lot of fun. Went, yeah, Paige did that. But she's, she said it's too cold to ride a bicycle right now. I mean, this was terrible. That's what I had. That's what, I, that's what she's going to get. But finally, just a few days before Christmas, you know what Beth said to me? She said, Daddy, she says, you know what I want for Christmas? I said, what? A bike. You know what she got? What she wanted. She got a bike. You know why? Because she wanted what I had for her. Now, that sounds silly, but that's exactly what it is to pray right for God's direction. Lord, I'm going to come before you, and I am seeking, what do you want in this situation? How do you want me to behave? You know, a lot of people say, I'm going to pray and see what God wants me to have, God wants me to get, what I'm going to get. No, God's promises generally have to do with how you ought to behave. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He'll bring it to pass. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's your behavior. And his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. See, that you come to God saying, Lord, how should I behave in this situation? And God gives you direction. Well, you make a faith request. God, I've seen this in your word. Your spirit has brought it to light. You have spoken it. It has become real to me. And so you make a faith request. Those are the two conforming. I mean, if God's speaking in English and you're listening in German, you won't hear. If God is speaking by his Spirit through the Word and you're trying some other method out, you're going to miss it. He's speaking by his Spirit through the Word, so you have to take a Spirit-filled life into the Word on a consistent basis to find what God wants you to have. I talk to people all the time. I've used this phrase to describe them. How do you know the will of God? They say, well, I'll just do this, and if God doesn't want me to do it, he closes the door. If God wants me to do it, he'll open the door. Listen, there are 3,000 jobs you could get in this town tonight if you go out and apply for them, but they're not God's will for you. You say, not that many jobs. Oh, stop around a few bars. Ask who needs dancers. Ask who wants to push drugs. Oh, yeah, there's things out there you can do. They're not God's will. The door's open. They're not God's will for you. When you say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to press forward until I meet an obstacle or opposition, you become nothing more than a human pinball. A pinball travels as fast as it can, as far as it can until it meets opposition, reacts to that, and ultimately ends up way down here. And I know people who've gone through their life, they're just always reacting to the negative. Well, they fired me. Well, they wouldn't let me in the school. Well, hey, listen, maybe God wants you to do like Joshua, go stand at the door of the city until it falls down. Maybe his word to you is march around it, stay there, hang in there, you see? Otherwise, you're just a human pinball. All right, in conclusion. We've said there are two crucial elements, truth, trust, two critical exercises, a situation, a dilemma, and in that I make a decision. That's how I exercise 
myself. Then God reveals his will through two confirming expressions. They work together by his spirit through the word. Secondly, I agree with him. I make two conforming exchanges. I bring my spirit-filled life into consistent study of his word, and when I see the answer, I make a faith request. Finally, two confident expectations. What can you expect? Here you are trying to make a decision. What can you expect when you finally just say, God, I agree with you? Here's what you expect. Now, let me give you, let me give you a verse first. John 5, 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. 1 John 5, verses 14 and 15. Here it is. This is the confidence we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Not anything, but according to his will. He hears us. And if we know he hears us, how can we know that? If we're asking what he's told us to ask. If we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the thing we desired of him. Boy, that's amazing. This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have the petitions we desired of him. How to be heard? Well, here's the first thing that's going to happen. Here are the two confident expectations. When I pray like that, when I make my decisions like that, I am confident, first of all, that God is going to hear me. This is the confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, that doesn't mean, Lord, if it be your will. No, that means you go with your spirit-filled life into a consistent study of the Scripture, find out God's will and say, Lord, I agree. I'm going to ask for that. It's like Abraham. And I don't have time to tell Abraham, petitioning, pleading, interceding for a lot. And he finally got to where God gave him his word. And Abraham turned on his heels and went home. And the Lord went on back to heaven. And the two angels went down to the city. But Lot was spared. And here's what it says. God remembered Abraham and delivered Lot. I hear these people say all the time, yeah, you can pray and God can tell you that. But the other person's got, hey, listen, Lot went out kicking and screaming. He never agreed. God remembered Abraham and spared Lot. You've got some friends that are lost. And if God tells you to pray for their salvation, God will remember you and spare them. Now, that's just a wonderful truth. I could just set you free. You say, well, what, if it, what if it doesn't happen the way I think it? Okay, big die-whopping deal. Who said you were perfect? You say, what if I fail? Who told you you were a success? God wants you to walk the walk of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What is faith? Operating on the will of God. God shows me his will through his word. I conform. That's how I make those decisions. Now, hmm, first I know God's going to hear because he's promised me he would hear if I was symphonizing, if I was asking for what was his will. Secondly, I will have. This is the confidence we have in him. We ask anything according to his will. He hears us, and if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know confidently we have the petitions we desired of him. Many illustrations of that in the Scripture, over and over. Our time is so brief this evening, I, I really struggle with just sharing. I, I was sitting with uh, Sarah and John, our two youngest children. We were talking about going to college and sitting in my study at home last night. We were talking about the many ways in which God had answered prayers and how God was leading me all the way through school to just trust him. I said, I didn't see the end. I just hauled off and just started. And he led me just step by step. I mean, there are times when I would go down beside a river and pray. I remember one time in specific, I was kneeling. I could not take finals. 
because I did not have $35. I had, I had tried every, I had tried to sell my stereo set. I, tried, every, I did not have $35. The finals were that morning. And I went down that night and prayed for about 2 o'clock beside a river. In fact, when I, I went to sleep, when I woke up, it was snowing. I remember that. And I went back to this little attic apartment where five of us lived, Rubbin Snow and some others of us, lived in this attic. And as I was walking up the steps, there was a check for $35. It had been dated about two months earlier. I don't know where it came. It might have dropped out of my, my book, prayer book as I went out. I just didn't know that I had it. But there it was on the steps. And I don't know how you interpret that. That is God's providential supply. That is God's providential supply. And I have seen that happen over and over and over again. I could stand here and talk from now to midnight just telling you personally how God answers prayer. Here's the decision. Listen, folks, you've got your mind all cluttered up with all these decisions you think I have to make. I have to decide about my job. I have to decide about my life's mate. I have to decide about this business situation. I decide which way I'm going to with this health problem. I have to decide about my money. I have to decide what to buy, what to wear, where to move. No, you have got one decision. Simplify your life. You've got one decision. Turn to the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your path. Take a spirit-filled life to a consistent study of the Scripture. Let God speak by His Spirit through the Word. You agree with Him. Symphonize with Him in prayer. Ask God for what He said He wants to do or give. This is the confidence we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and if we know He hears us,